Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger, and I am so excited to have Dr. Clint Haycock on the show today to share his journey of leaving religion. For people who do not know who you are, could you introduce yourself, tell them about your background, and also a little bit about your podcast? Yeah, so I'm the host of the Mind Shift Podcast. I think I've been doing it for about probably seven years. It's been a long time. But it started out as a different podcast. It was called The Preacher's Forum. I was still kind of in my last vestiges of being a progressive Christian, I think, back in those days. But over the time that I, I, went, I went on, people said I was deconstructing on air. So not only did I leave the church, I left the Christian faith behind as well. So that's when I thought, okay, the name doesn't fit. So I changed it to Mind Shift Podcast. So it's more reflective of my journey, I guess you could say. Yeah, I love that so much about like how people saw that change you saw that change and you're like huh Mm -hmm. like you know you're shifting with things and I love it because I think society would be a much better place if we were all willing to shift our mindsets or our beliefs (laughs) around things so many people get so bogged down and no this is the truth this is the only way but if willing to have this openness to new information and be willing to have that mind shift and accept that new information instead of rejecting it. And I think um, that is so incredible. And the thing that has always bugged me about like when you leave high control religion or you leave uh, a cult that you are painted as spiritually inferior or weak or not strong enough, but it takes a lot of strength to question. It takes a lot of strength to look at new information And to admit that, oh, I'm wrong on these issues, I'm going to change and shift, Uh, because I think that it's a, to me, it's easier to just claim something as truth, shut down critical thinking, not explore anything else. Um, But there's a lot of safety and comfort in that. And I know we'll dig a lot into deeper things um, into that mindset and kind of like dominion theology. It's Um, true. Later. Well, I would just say to that, that there's a couple of different aspects, just as I'm hearing you talk about it, because on the one hand, in my case, I was born into sort of fundamentalist Christianity in the Seattle, Washington area in the States. So a lot of that was my, I guess I would say now indoctrination. You know, that's what I received as a young child growing up. I was told this was the way it was. So I never questioned it. So a lot of that was the cognitive dissonance that came along years and years later as I studied the Bible, as I studied theology. A lot of things didn't line up with what I'd been taught in my particular tradition. So there's an element of that, too. It's not just that we're questioning our beliefs. It's what we're questioning, the things we were taught, perhaps as a young child. And you don't think to question those things. You don't have the critical capacity as a child to question those things. So there's a lot of layers to this deconstruction thing. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I was also raised in fundamentalist Christianity and homeschool my whole life. Uh, Mm. But yeah, I mean, it's a lot. And like, you know, you're taught not to question it and your critical thinking skills are repressed um, in that environment. But as we get into this interview, could you really tell me about your experience with cults and really high control religious groups? Well, yeah, that's what got me started on a lot of this journey expanding my podcast out from just talking about Christianity and deconstructing the Bible and things like that, which a lot of podcasts do anyway. This is when I was about four years ago, I was watching a series of shows on 
the uh, a crime and investigation channel over here in the UK where I live. And there was a series on a different cult every night. There was an hour long documentary and it was things like, you know, nation of Islam and the fundamentalist Latter-day Saints and Scientology and Nexium. And I'm thinking, you know, on paper, I, as a coming out of Christianity, I shouldn't have anything in common with any of these people, but yet every episode that I watched, I started to realize that the psychology that they were talking about, the things that had happened to them in their particular group or cult were eerily similar to my experiences within fundamentalist Christianity. And that started me thinking, wait a minute, why is that? So I started researching cult psychology, cult tactics, read some really good books, talked to some really good people. And that's what started me on this journey of realizing that a lot of what happened to us, like you and me, raised in fundamentalist Christianity is very similar to the exact same tactics that cults use. So our reconstruction of our identities on the back end bears a lot of similarities to what people who come out of high control cults have to do as well. I see. Yeah. And like it, it is really eye-opening yeah. to really hear those different stories and people that you would think would be so different from you and, and beliefs that you would think would be like completely different, but then you see the same dynamics and you see those same tactics. And I know for me, it was listening to the indoctrination podcast mm -hmm. that was yeah. really um, eye-opening for me as I'm hearing all these different stories from like Jehovah's Witnesses, from Mormons, from other people, and like also in fundamentalist Christianity and the way they frame things and told their stories. And then, you know, people from Scientology and mm -hmm. all these different things. And I'm like, wait, seeing that similarity is like oh wait my group did that too exactly what <laughs> yeah and it's just realizing like you know these groups might have different beliefs or different doctrines but their approach or their dynamics have the same blueprint and that they may differ on like how extreme they are or how far they go um to control but something else i want to dig into is really what inspired you to start the mind shift podcast because i know it started out as something different so what mm -hmm. was the original intent yeah like i said before it was the the last gasp of my progressive christian phase i wrote an article several years ago called what happens after people leave the church and in that i charted a number of different sort of spectrum positions that people go through when they leave religion particularly in my case christianity and I realized in talking to a lot of different people and getting their stories was that I came up with something like 16 different sort of positions along this spectrum. And I found that people will tend to start at one and then they'll move to another and another and another. So it's not like there's one that's right or one other that's wrong. It's all part of this journey. So when I was coming out of Christianity, I was going through this progressive phase. So I was jettisoning a lot of my fundamentalist doctrine, but I still considered myself a Christian. But I was reading books by, you know, Donald Miller and Brian McLaren, Rob Bell, things like that, pushing the envelope out a little bit further and getting rid of a lot of my old beliefs. So in that last phase, I was still very much concerned about, you know, saving the church. I wanted to reach the church. That's what I did as, as a Bible college teacher over here in this country for about seven or eight years. I was training up men and women, trying to help them avoid the mistakes I had made when I was a pastor. And that's when I started the show. It was originally called the Preachers Forum because I really had a burden for preachers. And that's what I did. I studied that when I did my doctorate. 
And so that's kind of where I was coming from. But over, like I said, over the years, I started to realize I'm not, I don't believe this stuff anymore myself. So I had to change the name and my now ex-wife, she suggested, why don't you call it the mind shift? Cause it's a real mind shift and all this stuff you're talking about. So I don't know, about five years ago, I changed it over. I see. And I know you had said earlier before we started recording was that like really go like getting your PhD really made you question. And could you really start taking into how that started for you? Because, you know, you grew up in fundamentalism. You're told what to believe, what's the truth. But here you are going to school and having to really decide for yourself what do i really believe not what someone told me or mm -hmm. you know what what is the right approach or any approach to this it's true well there's a backstory to that as well because before we moved to the uk i'd been a pastor i'd started out as an elder and then i was a pastor of a church just south of portland in oregon where i was going to bible college and seminary and the end of that the last couple of years was incredibly difficult we ended up closing that church down because it was heading toward a very ugly church split. And I was completely burned out in ministry as so many pastors are. They've quit the ministry never to return. So I walked out of that experience just absolutely fried. And when we moved over here to the UK, we did start attending a church in the town where I was going to the university. But I was really you know, like, I'm not going to get involved with church. I'm not going to do a whole lot like I did before when I was in leadership. So that was part of it. There was my backstory coming out of being a minister. And then that that caused me to question a lot of things. That's when I was reading guys like McLaren and Bell and you know uh, Donald Miller and things like that. So I was becoming more and more progressive Christian. And then when I was studying for my PhD, my supervisor was really good. He would circle things as I wrote various chapters and papers. And he would say, you know, are you sure you want to say this? Uh, do you really believe this? And I realized a lot of the statements I was making in my papers and chapters that I was writing for my doctoral dissertation were straight fundamentalism. And I, I had to go back and question, like, where did that come from? You know, where does it, do I actually believe that? And I think, actually, no, I don't. Why, why am I just automatically reflexively saying things like that and writing things like that? So that was part of the process of slowly unpicking the pieces and the puzzle and jettisoning sort of one piece at a time. And my analogy was, it's like, I got rid of everything jettisoned one block at a time until there was nothing left. And that's when I realized I'm not even a Christian anymore. I see. And so what were some things that you saw in Christianity that like really bothered you and that you had to grapple with, but I guess specifically like behaviors in that environment? Well, yeah, and that's part of the cult psychology, as we were talking about earlier, the behavior control, the the sort of bite model of cults. When I started seeing, wait a minute, these were all the tactics that had been used to control me, you know, behavior control, information control, thought control, emotional control, growing up in the evangelical purity culture, being, a, I was a, I was raised in the Bill Gothard, what was then called the Institute in Basic Youth Conflicts. Now it's called Institute in Basic Life Principles or IBLP. So all those things were used to control me and my sisters and people in our church, you know, so those things really bother me now because I think not only did they have an effect on me in terms of religious trauma syndrome, but also psychologically, and you have to rebuild your life and sort of go back and put all these pieces back together, find out who the real you, who's the, who's your authentic identity in amongst all that. 
Yeah. And so what were some of the teachings from Gothard's original um, program, which, what was it called again? Well, it was originally called the Institute in Basic Youth Complex. Well, I was into it when in the 1970s uh -huh. and early 80s. My parents were actually in, involved in it. And I think in the mid-1980s, they changed it to IBLP, which is what it is now. Of course, okay. everybody's talking about this because of the Shiny Happy People documentary on uh, Amazon. That's that's what's gotten everyone focused mm -hmm. on who's this Bill Gothard, you know? Yeah. I mean, he he taught his, his essential theology was that you, you had seven core principles and if you followed those godly principles in every area of your life you would have success it was kind of like a prosperity doctrine only he didn't teach necessarily that you'd be wealthy but that god would bless you and it was all about submitting to the authorities above you so if you got out from under what he called the umbrella of authority that was god ordained you know put over your life like your father your church your pastor god you'd be fair game to the attacks of satan and that would be a really bad place to be, you know, so it's a very high control thing because you think I've got to ob abide by his rules. If I don't, I'm removing myself out from under the umbrella of the authority that's been placed above me. And therefore, I'm wide open to the attacks of the devil, which, of course, none of us want. Yes. And so also, I'm really curious about like your thoughts on like the Christian right and dominion theology, which is like mm -hmm. throughout a lot of fundamentalist Christianity and really this theology's effect on society. Yes. Well, that's the thing I watched. I just finished watching Shiny Happy People. My sister actually downloaded it on her iPad. We recently went on a trip to Ireland and Northern Ireland. My sister and I, she came over from the States and we had a week long trip and I watched the whole thing. And what struck me about it was the whole homeschooling thing that the Christians getting involved in politics, which were all things that not only did Gothard put push, but the Duggars as well. You can see Jim Bob Duggar. He was involved in politics. They homeschooled their kids. They were involved in the IBLP cult. And that all stems from this idea of Christians taking dominion. And I wish they just delved more into that in the documentary because they never really talked about it at all. But that's the driver behind things like homeschooling and Christians involved in politics. They're attempting to take dominion politically and in other ways, and therefore institute some form of a theocratic kingdom or a, a church-ruled society. And that's really the, a major driver today. Yes, and so like, Growing up in this, I know exactly why they wanted to do this, but like, could for people who aren't familiar, could you really explain, like, why, like, where did Dominion theology, like, when did that really start? And in their minds, what were they really wanting to accomplish? Well, the main figure is a guy named R.J. Rush Dooney. And I'm sure you coming out of Christian homeschooling, I'm sure you must have been, you know, familiar with Rush Dooney's writings, Institute and Biblical, the Institutes of Biblical Law. That was his big book that he wrote back in, I think it was 1973, and it's essentially about a thousand-page commentary on the Ten Commandments, and Rush Dooney developed these concepts. He was the founder of something called Christian Reconstructionism back in the 1960s and the end of the 70s, and when the Christian right started to really kind of take power off the back of Jimmy Carter's election and then Ronald Reagan in the in 1980. This is when they turned to Rush Dooney, these people in the, that were starting the Christian right movement, and they used a lot of his ideas as sort of the scaffolding for what's become the Christian right today. Now, 
they jettisoned some of his more controversial ideas because for Rush Dooney, his idea was to basically institute biblical law for all of society. And that was a bit too extreme. He talked about stoning of gays and incorrigible children and women who were found not to be virgins on their wedding night. But these were all applications of Old Testament law applied literally to society. And that was a little bit too extreme for a lot of these guys like Jerry Falwell and Tim LaHaye and people like that. So they kind of distance themselves from his more extreme stuff. But out of that comes things like the homeschooling movement, Christian involvement in politics. And it's all with an aim to raise up enough people generationally that eventually we will take dominion. This is what they believe over society. And they talked a little bit about this in the Shiny Happy People documentary. Places like Patrick Henry College in Virginia is a pipeline for homeschool kids to go into higher education. And from there, they can get internships in the White House, into legal fields, politics, things like that. And this is the aim of this Joshua generation. They're going to take dominion eventually. It may take a couple of generations or more, but this is the driver behind it. It's all about this dominion theology. Yeah, and like it's just it's such a frightening and concerning thing. And I think yeah, we're, def we're definitely seeing like the effects of that in like the Supreme Court with – the Christian right forcing their interpretation um, on the country. Mm. And, you know, and I remember growing up in fundamentalism and hearing like in sermons, like, oh, the world will be, our our country will be mm. a much better place if people like us are in the government who have the truth, we have the right way and there's also like this view of people who don't believe what we believe, like, you know, they're called unbelievers, the unsaved, mm -hmm. heathens, whatever, all these different names for them. It's like, they're like, they're blind to the truth. They don't know what they really need. We know what they need. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, this, and there's this a, yeah, arrogance. It's yeah. It's a toxic thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And so, and also there is this fear behind it. Like if we don't take over the country and get into the government, God is going to judge our country like Sodom and Gomorrah. So there is mm -hmm. this like trying to protect the country. Like if the drive towards um, liberalism, they saw that as, oh, well, you know, this free society where people have the, the freedom to be themselves. They saw that or still see that. As oh well, if that happens, then God's going to judge our country. Like I remember when gay marriage was legalized in 2015 in the U.S., it was like the end of the world <laughs> yeah. um, in my fundamentalist um, cultic church. And and I remember the pastor being like, "Oh, God's going to judge our country, God." So there's this also this fear behind it. And I think a lot of these leaders they want that power and control, and but they they use fear to scare their followers into convincing them mm -hmm. that oh this needs to happen i think a lot of fundamentalist christians aren't aware of all the manipulation and fear tactics but i think a, the leaders are and the leaders know what they're doing it's true it's something Catherine stewart says i don't know if you've come across her work but she wrote the power worshipers and she talks about basically foot soldiers you know, the, the average sort of evangelical garden variety Christian sitting in his or her church, they're unaware of what's going on at the top brass level. You know, so organizations like the Family Research Council, Council for National Policy, Heritage Foundation, you know, these are mega, mega wealthy uh, Christian right organizations. 
And they're the ones that, like you say, know the strategy behind it. They're just trying to mobilize the ground forces to go out and, you know, put out flyers in their neighborhood or knock on doors or make phone calls or, you know, these kind of things to get them involved politically. And I think, too, what you said, too, was another aspect is that it's allied with Christian nationalism. There's a huge element to this whole Dominion theology piece, like you alluded to, and that is the belief that America was a Christian nation. It strayed from the path of righteousness, and we need to become one again. And that basic narrative is a massive driver, like you said, behind why people think they need to get involved in politics so that we can return America back to its Christian nation status once again. And like, could you dig into like, what are the arguments that these people put forth about why they think America was founded as a Christian nation? Well, you look at a guy like David Barton. I don't know if you're familiar with his stuff. Probably again, as a homeschool, you would have come across David Barton somewhere. He runs an organization called Wall Builders out of Alito, Texas. And now his son, Tim Barton, is kind of taking over for him. I think he's the heir apparent. But what David Barton does with Wall Builders this guy goes all over the country. He speaks in churches. He'll give tours of the U.S. Capitol. He's taught congressmen and women, senators, politicians, all this whole narrative about how America allegedly was founded as a Christian nation by the founding fathers. And he'll just give you like a machine gun. He'll just throw up quote after quote after quote from you know signers of the Declaration of Independence, signers of the Constitution, founding fathers to prove that not only were they supposedly Christians, but they intended the nation to stay as a Christian nation. And then, of course, that we have strayed from that. So basically, it's a form of covenant theology. This is something that goes all the way back to the Puritans in the 17th century when they founded the colonies. They came and saw themselves as sort of a new Israel. And they really did believe they were establishing a covenant with God. And if they were righteous, that God would bless the nation. And if they were evil, as in they didn't follow the Bible and Christian principles, God would judge America. So these ideas, they do go back, you know, hundreds of years. And that's what guys like David Barton are picking up on. Okay, I see. Um, and I guess also regarding like the Christian right and dominion theology, you have so much knowledge about this. What other, or you've named several organizations and things, but what other organizations are really pushing this Christian nationalist dominion theology agenda? Well, you see, this is where we connect places like Homeschool Legal Defense Association mm -hmm. with those sorts of things. You know, this is founded by Mike Ferris, who also founded Patrick Henry College. He founded the HSLDA, and now he's the head of the Alliance Defending Freedom, or the ADF, which I think is the largest Christian legal defense organization in America. They're a multi-multi-million, maybe multi-billion dollar organization, and they will fight for religious liberties, in air quotes, for Christians. So these are the people that actually were behind drafting the laws that ended up overturning Roe versus Wade. You know, So they're very heavily involved in the political legal fields. And so they're a very dangerous organization, I think, because they're they're putting these blueprints together. The next thing they're working on is rolling back progressive rights, you know, trans rights, LGBTQ rights, same-sex marriage. That's the next thing on the chopping block now that they've won Roe versus Wade. So you've got to really be careful. That's why you need to read books by like Catherine Stewart and thing and people like her, because she does a great job of laying out all these different organizations, where their money comes from, 
you know, a lot of it comes from people like the greens who, who own hobby lobby you know so they're billionaires who funnel millions into these organizations so they've got a lot of money and that gives them a lot of clout politically oh i see yeah thank you so much for sharing that and yeah i need to look up Catherine stewart and yeah read some of the research that she's done um in these organizations and i'm glad there are people like her and even like you bringing awareness um to this because of course like they don't want this to see the light of day and like no. another another person that i think of that has a lot of lot of influence was you know um or he's still alive but believe it or not but yeah dr james dobson mm-hmm. and i know you know a bit about him because could you talk about his background a bit and his all his organizations <laughs> yeah which one well the two that i know for sure obviously are focus on the family and then the political arm of focus on the family is the family research council mm-hmm. so yeah the, the research i did on dobson i actually had a woman on the show she wrote an article uncovering his connections to eugenics way back. There was a guy, I can't remember his name right now, but he was a, a eugenicist in the 1920s and 30s. Uh, Carl Popino, I think his name was. And Dobson actually worked for Popino as an intern and like a graduate student. So a lot of his ideas actually filtered into the family, focus on the family. But yeah, he was massively influential because I remember as a kid growing up, I was, my parents only let let us listen to Christian radio. And of course, one of the things we listened to was focus on the family. And, you know, he he was urging people to get involved in politics, even back in the early 1980s. So he has had a massive influence for sure. And then you got the Family Research Council. They're going out helping Christians to mobilize. Like I was saying earlier, they're like the foot soldiers and uh, organizations like the FRC. They're trying to mobilize these Christians to, to do their bidding, basically vote for the candidates that they select and get, get involved in their local community in terms of politics. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And I know a lot of people have been talking a lot about James Dobson, especially since the Shiny Happy People mm-hmm. documentary came out, because I think other people were like, oh, like, you know, they caught out Gothard. Now, what about these? Uh, like, there are other yeah. awful leaders that. Yeah, what about Dobson? Oh, and like, it, it's interesting because I didn't like realize how influential Dobson was on my parents until recently, until like, because I think I had. I was aware of focus on the family growing up. My parents, like, you know, Adventures in Odyssey. My parents mm-hmm. would listen, you know, to him on the radio. Um, and I know they had books that were, like, I remember the focus on the family logo, like seeing it on a bunch of books we had. Um, but yeah, but when people started talking about it and like people were like, oh yeah, he found, Dobson founded focus on the family. And I was like, oh, I'm like, we had all kinds of books on that. Mm. And I started re- like researching some of his books. I'm like, oh, I remember seeing this book in my house sitting around. <laughs> um, yep. And so I was like, oh, shit. And then like, because like at first when you look at Dobson, if you don't do deep re- research, you're like, oh, this seems like a normal person. He's a Christian psychologist who helps with parenting. But like once yeah. you take What's deeper- the oh. And like, just when I, I, I've ordered some of his books to like make TikTok videos about, but I was just, as I was researching him, I was horrified with yep. just the millions of books that he sold to America, not just Christian people. And I was like, what? Like all these, 
millions of copies sold of this and I'm like from the outside like I can understand why people would but like looking deeper about how like oof, like he trained his dogs and then based those techniques on training children and you know the eugenics connection mm. yeah um, it's horrifying stuff he has influenced wow. not just a generation but generations like yeah. you said he's that was the thing I was going to mention like you talked about uh, God only knows how many books he's written, but my parents, for example, raised us kids according to both Bill Gothard and jo James Dobson's principles, and that was, you know, corporal punishment. So he he's taught generations of Christian yeah. parents that they need to spank their children. You know that he wrote a book. I think it's called Dare to Discipline, and that's basically what it's all about. Is all about this idea of you have to spank your child, and when he or she cries. That's when you know they've broken their will. This was something that Gothard also taught. And that was the idea that they have this inbred proclivity to sin because of our sin nature, because of the fall of humanity. And the role of godly parents is to drive that from the child through corporal punishment. So it's a really, it's abusive. It's I was, I was absolutely abused as a kid physically for sure yeah. by mm -hmm. my parents. And that was based on directly teachings by James Dobson and Bill Gothard. Mm. Yeah. And it's just, it's terrible because I remember my parents, like they would spank me also. They would say, we're doing this because we love you. Yep. Yep. I and, remember that. <laughs> you know, it's been interesting for me to start like talking about this online about like spank, like, you know, spanking is child abuse. It's physical it is. abuse. And like people have been like parents coming out of the woodwork, like, oh, like, no, it's not you're god you're such a sissy you're this this you're like and they're really projecting like their own guilt i think about how they parented or also people don't not want to admit to themselves that they were abused by their parents yeah. um and like there are some like christians who are like you know what i am you know i'm so glad my parents spanked me because that saved <laughs> me that saved me from eternal damnation they were saving like they were you know, if I would have been on the path of rebellion, disobedience, I'd be going to hell. They, and I was like, <laughs> oh my God. A little bit of pain saved me from an eternity in hell. Oh my gosh. I was just like, ugh. But it's um, more than just the physical abuse too, because it's emotional. It's it religious. Yeah. I can remember, like you said, you'd get the spanking and then you'd get the little lecture afterwards. Parents would hug it. You know, I'm only doing this because I love you and I care about you, blah, blah, blah. But it was also the, the message was, I'm doing this because God Ugh. wants me to do it. Yeah. So there's a religious component to it as well. So you're thinking, okay, so God wants me to be hurt uh, emotionally, physically, psychologically as well. So there's another component. There's a lot of layers to that whole spanking thing. Yeah. And like it, it, it's so, and you're right. Like there's these different levels of abuse in it and harm. Oh, yeah that just causes a lot of trauma and it's just it's so terrifying to me how to hear even like christians justify these things and like i, I remember having a conversation um with a family member and i was like questioning them about like oh like what about specifically like awful things that like god did in the bible or just the wrath and the anger and they're like oh well you know love it isn't always <laughs> basically there is they were saying oh love has to be abusive sometimes <laughs> okay basically and wow. i was like holy fuck but like really <laughs> the deal with their own cognitive dissonance with it and i was just like trying to get them to like explain like oh why does 
you know, in the Bible, God do these different things yeah. or kill genocide or genocide. Yeah. All these things. And they're just like, you know, and I remember like <laughs> one of their answers was like, Oh, well that was the, God promised that land to the Israelites or whatever. And Oh, God promised this. And I'm like, and that made it okay. And then like, I tried to like see the comparison. I'm like, okay, like what about like Islam? Like the, you know, not all of them, but like the mm-hmm. extremists, the, what about the extremists and that? Like, they believe that God is telling them to do these things. How is that different? And they're just kind of yep. like speechless. Once they like making that comparison, they were like, Ugh, like what? <laughs> so I left exactly. it at that. I was like, I'm you can't like, get into it because they'll just double down most of the time, won't they? And that <laughs> oh was part God. of what I was talking about earlier when I was studying for my doctoral dissertation. I was actually studying the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament. And that book really got me to question the God of the Bible, like you're talking about. And I kept thinking, wait a minute, he does some horrific things in the book of Ezekiel to Ezekiel, actually. And I think, wait a minute, here's a guy, Ezekiel, he's a prophet. He's just trying to do everything right. And yet God's like abusive toward him. At one point, he kills Ezekiel's wife. This is how the narrative reads. And he tells Ezekiel, you will not be allowed to mourn for your wife that I just killed as an object lesson to your fellow Israelites in exile. And I, I walked away from that passage and I thought, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I mean, what the hell? Is this the God that I'm supposedly serving? That's not a God that I want to serve. That's akin to an abusive relationship with someone who is abusive toward his partner and then demands that she love him in return and obey him. I mean, that's really yeah. messed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and that was really just it really eye-opening to me. When yeah. I got out and started hearing people say that, you know, in fundamentalism, this model that they give you of this relationship with Jesus or with God, like it models a narcissistic, abusive relationship. Yeah, it really and does. I, and it was just, I was like, oh my gosh. Because I remember uh, and it was really interesting the way this digital creator did this, but they were talking to you as if like, they're giving you advice about like an abusive partner, like framing it as like a human relationship. And then they're like, what if I told you that these are all the dynamics of a relationship with God, you know, in fundamental or in Christianity. And, you know, they kind of like, you know, they kind of set you up in a sense, like, cause they, they know, like, I think they were trying to cater, I guess, towards a Christian audience and they didn't want them to be hostile. So they were getting it in their minds of like a human relationship, because I think anyone who would list those things be like oh yeah that's abusive but then when it comes to religion it's like oh no like no it's different no yeah it is it's, <laughs> it's true just... if you put it on paper as you said i've seen that done before where you just simply describe the characteristics of an abusive relationship and then you turn around and say okay what i've just described to you is the god of the bible you know he's punishing people he's sending suffering into their lives and yet he wants us to obey him and love him more and praise him for it. And you see it around things like when Christians get, you know, terminal illness or a loved one dies or some horrific tragedy, cancer or something like that. That's when you see this type of thinking come out where the cognitive dissonance becomes so much that it can only come up with some answer like, well, we don't know why God's doing this, but we'll find out when we get to heaven someday. That's the only refuge that they can Uh, take. Yeah. It's like all the thought, like stopping, cliches yeah, exactly. that at you like oh like we'll only know when we die or oh god knows so much more than us we just have to trust yeah. and obey just his shut ways are higher than our way 
Oh. And that's yeah, that's exactly going back to what we talked about with cult psychology. All those things are thought terminating cliches. Christianese is a good example of that. These platitudes that Christians will spout, and I, I did it too, but that shuts down critical thinking. So ultimately, God, my argument is God always gets off the hook. He's never to blame for anything. It's always either our fault or it's just mysterious ways of God. We'll find out in heaven that there was a master plan that we, he was you know, behind it all for a greater purpose that was much better than allowing our loved one to die in a car crash. <laughs> you know, it's really messed up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, there's just all these different like toxic dynamics, these harmful teachings mm -hmm. like has traumatized so many people and really has caused a lot of religious trauma um, which I'm thankful that Dr. Marlene Winnell was able, I think she, I think she coined that term. I think it was religious trauma syndrome in 2011, yes. which really like is still like very recent. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, for people who aren't familiar, could you explain religious trauma syndrome? Well, yeah, like you say, it's coined by Dr. Marlene Winnell. I've had her on the show before talking about RTS and it's a fantastic episode. If anyone's not read her work, I would encourage them to read Leaving the Fold, which is really a book. It speaks to people like you and I, where we were yeah. raised in a fundamentalist, high control religious environment, then left it. And we're trying to rebuild our sort of authentic self that perhaps we never we never had, you know, because all we ever had was the religious self. But basically, yeah, as I understand it, it's it's a form of um, PTSD. Essentially, it's it's a complex trauma where when you're told things like you're told you're going to hell, or when I watched that movie, A Thief in the Night, when I was a kid, I had rapture anxiety. I was afraid I was going to get left behind when the rapture happened. And I was freaked out and afraid, full of anxiety. Those kind of things cause lasting trauma in our lives when they happen over and over and over again. And like we were saying before, as a kid, you can't, you don't have the critical thinking skills to understand, wait a minute, I'm being lied to, I'm being, I'm being manipulated here, I'm being controlled. You just believe it, and it causes all kinds of traumas. And then later, you're trying to figure out how do I unpack all this stuff, and that's where the religious trauma comes in, where you have to sort of go through and get help and healing to deal with all these layers of trauma that we experience in the church. Yeah, and so for your own journey and really advice for other people, how? How can you find healing from that? Well, the sort of obvious answer is to get therapy, which I did. I have done. I've gotten therapy. And it's kind of funny because I've met with a couple different therapists that they'd never heard of religious trauma syndrome before. I had to basically explain what it is and then say, okay, this is what happened to me, you know, as a kid growing up in the church. But once I explained what it was, they were able to say, okay, right. So you're talking about. PTSD. Essentially, it's just with a religious component. That's what it is. You know, when when someone is traumatized, let's say a, a combat veteran sees their buddies blown up, you know, in Vietnam or Afghanistan, that's trauma. Those events are traumatizing and it stays with you. And so then you have to figure out what the strategy is for coping with that. But for some people, therapy isn't necessarily very helpful because it can start to feel like their own programming, they're sitting in front of someone being told, okay, now you tell me what's wrong with you. And that can be very triggering. So things like getting into music, education, reading, travel, these are things that all helped me and are still helping me 
to get rid of the traumas as well as going through therapy. So there's a lot of different strategies, but I think education is one of the biggest ones because reading books like Dr. Marlene Winnell, reading Dr. Robert J. Lifton, Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism, reading Dr. Yanya Lalich's books, these things were able to help me identify not only what happened to me, how I was controlled, but also the psychological effects that each one of these things had on me. And then I could start to get help around those specific areas. Mm, yes, thank you so much, I think, for sharing that. And this is kind of like a new question that I've started adding. That's the same for each interview. But, you know, this podcast is all about, like, the power of speaking up and the impact of that. But how has your life changed since you've started speaking up? Oh, massively. I'm, I'm not even the same person. It's funny because my girlfriend, so I got divorced about three years ago. I met my girlfriend almost two years ago now. And, you know, when I try to explain to her the kind of person, I, I say I was a pastor. I was a Bible college teacher. She just looks at me like, what? I mean, she can't even fathom what I was like 10, 15, 20 years ago. You know, it's just, it's an alien concept to her, you know? And I'd, so what I do is I explain to her that what I used to believe and what I used to do for a living, you know, and that kind of helps round out the picture, you know, and she says, the person you are today, you are completely, clearly a completely different person than you were 10, 20 years ago when you were still an evangelical, you know, so my life has absolutely completely changed. I don't have to rely on a higher power. I don't pray every time I make a decision. I don't read the Bible for wisdom and guidance. And I don't feel bad when I don't do those things, you know? So it's, it's completely, I'm, I'm, I feel like I am actually my authentic self for the first time in my life. I didn't, I didn't have one of those before. So I've had to yeah. reinvent myself and this is who I am now. Mm. Yes. Wow. Very powerful. And really like, what was that drive for you to speak up? Well, that was it is that I realized, you know, it's funny because I'm a teacher by profession, but I'm also wired to be a teacher. I've always been a teacher. I've been a preacher, a teacher. So this is my drive. I get a pleasure out of learning things for myself, but I get an even greater pleasure in sharing it with somebody else. And that's, I think, what makes hopefully a good teacher is that you're interested in learning for knowledge's sake, but you want to share that with other people and help, help them to see, you know, what you've understood. And that's really why I do the podcast, why I still do it, because this is something that I'm putting into practice in my own life. And then I'm able to share it with whoever listens to my show. And I'm thinking, you know, that's that's the same drive that when when I was a pastor, I just don't have the religious component now. So this is really the drive behind what I do. And it's it's helped me massively. And my, my girlfriend says she can recognize, you know, when I do my podcast, I come downstairs and I'm really fired up. And she says, wow, I can see that you're really energized by spending an hour talking to somebody on a Zoom call. And I say, yeah, that's that's what really fires me up is helping other people. So that's kind of why I do what I do. Mm. Yeah. And thank you for all all the work that you do and the awareness you bring and the education uh, that you bring with your podcast. So I'll, I'll be sure to link your podcast um, below in the show notes and people listening, please go check that out. And are there any other places that people can find you online? 
Sure, they can follow me on Twitter at MindShift2018. You can also find me on the Public MindShift Podcast Facebook page. You can like that page. And of course, if you want to support the show, you can look up the MindShift Podcast Patreon page and become a patron of the show. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I have greatly enjoyed this conversation. Yes. In fact, we need to do another one. I think we're going to have you on the MindShift Podcast. So let's set up a I date. I would love that. Oh, We'll do a, a reciprocal one. I want to hear your story as well. Yeah, of course. But yeah, thank you again. And everyone listening, all the stuff you mentioned, I have that linked in the show notes. Please, please go check out his work.